Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Pilot's Pandemic. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maddie. Hey, guys. And we are going to be covering everything hymns and everything alcohol today, which is kind of ironic since last week we told you all how much we drank. Um, But regardless of all that, we are going to start out. Maddie's going to take us into this episode with a little bit of news. Yeah, so... You guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, have heard from John Ferrari. He told his story about going through the special issuance process and specifically the HIMSS program as well, which is ironic that we're talking about this today too. But he just recently spoke at UND and we thought that was just amazing really because it shows that mental health and aviation is being talked about. Um, slowly but surely. And we were happy to make that connection for John and at UND. And they also shared that story that I shared on my Instagram to their page, which other just like, you know, thing that we can say like mental health is being talked about and being shared. And so that was kind of cool because we were talking about the pilots pandemic and the story that they shared. So yeah. Um, And I don't know if his like talk will be published or anything, but You guys can listen to his episode. I think it's 22. We recorded with him in January last year, but he has such a, such a good story. Yeah. We love talking to him and he's a great speaker. So I felt like this was right in his niche because I had a fabulous time speaking with him. And I know a lot of y'all like that episode. So go John, little round of applause. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So this week, we are going to touch on some aviation news. And like I said previous to this, we are going to discuss HIMSS, also known as Human Intervention Motivational Studies. Um, So basically, what HIMSS does is it helps pilots stay flying, even if they disclose they have a drinking problem. The goal of HIMSS is to help reset the foundation of the pilot, and the program is reported to have an 80% success rate. So that's that's a pretty high number. Um, but like I mentioned, aviation news in the beginning of March, and y'all have probably heard about this. And I guess Maddie said at this point, it is kind of old news, but a JetBlue pilot was taken off the flight line for blowing a 0.17, which is four times the legal limit, uh, which is just. I feel Ooh. like, yeah, <laughs> the only time this is talked about is like when it happens, like when they get pulled out of the cockpit or flight deck. And like this actually happens often because I was trying to see how often it happens. So I just kind of typed in like, I think drunk pilot into Google or pilot drinking drunk pilot. pilot. Yeah, <laughs> real quick, you know, like short description, but no, it actually popped up a, a article and 
I'll have to find it, but I just specifically remember it being like line after line of different airlines and different pilots and a lot of cargo pilots, honestly, but they were all different types of pilots flying while intoxicated or not following the eight or 10 hour rule that they have. So although this is like shocking to some, because Emma, remember you said you had read the comments underneath and people are like this guy is fucked up and all like you know they were just like mean comments about this pilot who they have no idea who he is but I think it happens often and and we think wow I can't believe this person would ever do that but it is something that we need to realize like why is it happening like are these people just drunks or are they covering up an even deeper emotional issue yeah, I think a lot of the time, like, um, I feel like we've spoken to a few people and I feel like anytime the subject of alcohol gets brought up, I feel like there is a really massive negative stigma surrounding it kind of almost like, oh, you're a drunk bastard. Like there kind of is no sympathy, but in my mind, obviously alcoholism is addiction. Addiction is a disease. I don't feel like somebody just becomes an alcohol overnight, um, an alcoholic overnight. I feel like there has to be a lot of steps and a lot of different roads that you're having to go down to get to that point. Um, and then to obviously let it affect your work, like, holy shit, that's a massive breaking point for someone. But So New York Times article says, quote, airport police officers removed a pilot from the cockpit of a JetBlue flight departing Buffalo on Wednesday morning and conducted a sobriety test that indicated blood alcohol content more than four times the federal limit for pilots, authorities said. The pilot, James Clifton, 52, was taken into custody by the Niagara Frontier Transportation Authority Police who notified the federal authorities and released him into JetBlue security personnel, according to the Transportation Authority, which operates the Buffalo Airport. For some additional context, um, New York Times went on to say, when Mr. Clifton went through security screening for his 6.15 a.m. flight from Buffalo, Nigeria, or Nigeria. (laughs) (laughs) Niagara. I'm sorry, y'all. Like, wow. Wow. Okay. So his flight from Buffalo, Niagara International Airport to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a transportation security administration officer notified that he, quote, may have been impaired, airport officials said in a statement on Wednesday. So essentially what I'm gaining from that statement is like he went through security and they were like, oh, he's... He's drunk. Yeah. He's been drinking. And I wonder, like, how, okay, so four times the legal, like, like he blew, like, that's, uh, what, that, how much was that's, he drinking? How much was he drinking? <laughs> when was he drinking? Like, was he drinking before he got there? Like, was he I drinking bet, all night? Like, my, being, since I've flown with a lot of crews and I've gone out with pilots and stuff and specifically white male pilots, um, usually, they don't stop drinking like they pass their cutoff limit and i'm not saying this has happened on um any of the times i've flown but that's kind of like what i would think just watching how they do things like i'm sure they were like oh i don't care about my eight hour 10 hour rule um and so they just were drinking probably until like 1 a.m and they drank so much that it stayed in their system maybe or they woke up 
impounded some beers like or hard a because i'm like that's a pretty high yeah alcohol limit at 6 15 in the morning that's like, <laughs> i know i'm like damn bro that honestly i'm i'm getting a, a hangover right now just talking about it like i'm getting a headache <laughs> there is an like a too early point where you're just like it's too early to drink and like 6 15 is one of them unless you're going yeah. to like mexico then it's okay unless it's spring break <laughs> spring break that just, and you're not fun. a pilot <laughs> working or professionally sun. <laughs> it's like or sun and fun or sun and fun yes yes that's how i like to start my morning yes at sun and okay. fun so this kind of takes me to the hymns portion of things and why hymns was created what hymns stands for um and so on the hymns website it has like a quote. So I'm just taking like quotations from their website. It says one of the early issues of the hymns program is said to be because of the stigma surrounding being an alcoholic. They say because of the stigma associated with alcoholism, supervisors want to be certain beyond a reasonable doubt that alcoholism really was the problem. Fearing the embarrassment of misidentification, the supervisor waited until the employee evidenced several obvious chronic stage symptoms. And when this was like kind of in introduced it was the 1960s and 70s so like drinking was common like you would drink at work you would yeah. literally have like a bar card at work and you would just yeah. be like you want to drink even if it was like 10 a.m so it was probably even more stigmatized than it is now and and so that's why they created hymns because of that and but even now you see that happen like I feel like the reason this guy wasn't pulled before I'm because I don't think this is like the first incidents for this guy this jet boat pilot I think this has probably happened you know where he's come to work drunk and people kind of thought maybe maybe the flight attendants maybe his first officer are like do we want to jeopardize his career um or they've maybe questioned him putting like that eight or ten hour rule because you know when this has happened on one of the flights I've attended with my husband, like the captain stayed longer than we thought he would and kept drinking. And it wasn't past the eight to 10 hour rule, but he'd been drinking all day. So it was like, why doesn't he go to bed? So, you know, like those are cues, but no one ever really said anything. And so it comes to this, it comes to him actually being on the flight line, which is what the chronic stage symptoms I believe are, is when you come to work and you don't care if you're smashed and you don't care to lose your job. You're just like, I'm here and I'm trying to survive. It's kind of like a suicide mission a little bit. Like self-sabotage. Yeah, pilots know like if they do that, like it is like you're not, if you get caught, you are gonna have a long road back to you flying again. You know what I hate? What? When you're traveling, you're obviously on a flight, and the only thing that they can pass out to you for a snack is some mediocre-ass pretzels and a Biscoff cookie. How dare they? The audacity. That's why I honestly travel with Airfare Patch, dude, because they have over 50 different snacks from small businesses across North America, so I feel good giving back to small businesses. Um, and the, ha- the snacks, honestly, they give them to hundreds of pilots that love them because they're healthy, unique, they have long shelf lives, and they're honestly perfect for feeling great on, on the go. 
You know, what you just said about small businesses, that is a big whoop for me. I've been really into supporting small local businesses. I'm over big box companies like Jeff Bezos can kiss my ass. Um, so <laughs> that's one reason to feel good about airfare. Another reason to feel good about airfare is it has like feel good products in it. There's no added sugars, no GMOs. It's plant-based gluten-free. The gluten-free is like a ding ding for me because I'm trying to start living a more gluten-free lifestyle because I tend to be kind of gluttonous. Yeah, and, and same goes for me, like with the gluten, but mine's more soy and they don't have soy in their products. And the local businesses usually try to, you know, keep things healthier. You can read all the things on the back and you know what they are. Whereas, you know, snacks on the plane, like you were saying, look at the back of your pretzel pack. It's got like 50 different ingredients in it. And you're not going to be able to pronounce them. And that's <laughs> where I draw the line. Exactly. <laughs> so... Our listeners deserve the best. That's why our listeners can get 50% off their first order of customizable snacks using our discount code PILOTSPODCAST at checkout. So remember to visit airfarepouch.com and check out all their snack options. Um, and yeah, get yourself some damn airfare. Like, it's about time. Let's stop eating these stupid Biscoffs and these nasty pretzels. With the hymns, I love the hymns program. I want to get back to that because um, one of the things is touching on like why the hymns program is so successful, and it's because like the FA worked with the company and the union all together. All three of them worked together to make sure that there was a program that pilots could come to. And if, like I was saying before, if the company allows for it to be in a contract with the union then typically that works really well for pilots to want to do the HIMSS program and to self-report. If it's outside of the contract and it's on the company side, then I feel it, that pilots are less likely because they don't trust yeah. their company. Because the company is not invested in you, they're invested in their shareholders. So if you become a problem at any point and you have this on your record that you need to go through the HIMSS program, they may or may not pass you. And that's kind of the sucky part is you want it to be part of your union negotiation contract. And, and so in talking about this, I kind of want to mention like that's where we see mental health as well being talked about is maybe creating a pathway off of hymns for anxiety and depression and the umbrella of mental health diagnoses so that you're not treated like you're an addict or an alcoholic because it's very different when you have that diagnosis versus you being addicted to something. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But so how did hymns get started? Because the history, history is interesting to me. So hymns website goes, quote, by the early 1970s, the art of identifying and treating employed alcoholics was progressing through a technique known as constructive confrontation, which little side note, I really, I wonder what constructive confrontation really means. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. It says, while these confrontations were being applied with considerable success, even among other airline work groups, little help was available for the employed pilot. Strict enforcements of regulations by the FAA continue to create an unsurmountable obstacle for the afflicted pilot. Fellow pilots were reluctant to intervene 
slash confront for fear of threatening a colleague's livelihood, end quote. So like we said, 50 years later, and this stigma still persists today. And it's pretty apparent that like when somebody's livelihood is on the line, they're obviously going to be super reluctant to disclose any issues, drinking on the job, or what we discuss all the time, disclosing that you may take medication for anxiety, depression, ADHD, et cetera. That being said, as a colleague, I, it just, it would really suck to put someone else in that position. I would also be suck to be in that position, but also when it impacts safety of flight, there really is no question about it. You do at the end of the day, just have to do the right thing. Yeah. I think uh, one of the best things that you can do to kind of mitigate the, if it's like your colleague or something, let's say you're with another pilot and you think that they're drunk or intoxicated in some way. Um, you can like talk to your union. So you have them call their union rep and you call yours. And in that way that they're protected by the union and their job is not totally at a loss, you know? Cause I think that's the main thing is like you having your union back you first. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just because that's a hard part too. Like you're saying, it's stigmatized when you think, oh God, someone's drunk on the flight line. Like that's so messed up. They're putting people's lives at stake. And then you just think they're a little piece of shit. But we have to remember these, these pilots who have done this and who it's happened to their people, they have a life. They probably have families, wives, husbands, kids, maybe dogs, cats. <laughs> they are people they have. And so like, not every part of them is terrible. So being able to, to realize that can help you like be better about mitigating, like whatever consequences yeah. are going to happen. Um, and of course, like you want them to get better. So there are going to be consequences, but I think there are certain ways that you could go about it. Um, but For sure. I feel like we have a, like a higher sense of empathy. Like, I don't know. I like talking about stuff like this to me, it's sad. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As much as like, I feel like the general public, like you were talking about the post in particular was a complex post um it's called it's just at complex on instagram and it was just like very like hateful comments and yes i understand like it's like that's a shitty situation i would be upset too but at the end of the day like what i feel is like obviously something must really truly be going on in this person's life because for a person to get to this point is just a really really bad low and that makes me sad yeah. Oftentimes I think people just don't, uh, think about like, okay, what was the situation? Like, why would someone do this? And they don't think they obviously don't realize how hard it is to become a pilot. Like all the things you have to do, all the money you have to pay, the medical you have to keep to be a pilot. So I think it's hard for them to put themselves in their shoes. Cause they don't, they can't even wrap their minds around it, you know? So they just think, yeah, Oh, what yeah. a piece of shit. Cause that's the easy thing to do. Can you hear my cat? Just like, uh, is that cuddles? <laughs> It's MJ. She's hold on. Anyways, but I wanted to read the next portion. So it's a little more insight into the history of the HIMSS program. So it says in 1974, the Airline Pilots Association, ALPA, took the initiative through a grant from the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. They, in cooperation with the FAA and airline management, developed a prototype occupational alcoholism alcoholism program for pilots. The project was called the Human Intervention and Motivation Study, HIMSS. There was no evidence to, to suggest that the level of alcohol abuse among pilots was different from any other population. 
but ALPA, the FAA, and airline leaders believe that any level of alcoholism was undesirable and should be identified and treated. So we just talked about this. I just kind of touched on it, that it was the FAA, ALPA, and the airlines who all came together to create the program. Um, do I think it's perfect? Obviously not. Um, and I think it could definitely be expanded upon and improved. But I think it's something definitely that we could branch off of and make that mental health platform. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. cat thinks so too. <laughs> AMJ. <laughs> you know, I feel like it's definitely a good place to start. It's got like a good foundation. I feel like it's a great base, like body work to use to implement for kind of like the structure of what we would want a pathway to look like for the mental health side of things. But so last part of the hymns development is this quote, airline management participated with ALPA in, like I said, quote, constructive confrontation process and provided health benefits and job security. Ding, 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 job security. Anytime I hear that, I like that word. (laughs) The FA joined the initiative by developing an evaluation and monitoring procedure that ensured safety while enabling pilots who achieved adequate recovery to return to flying sooner than it would otherwise have been possible. Yes. So this cooperative tripartite tripartite (laughs) system completed elements essential to the HIMSS alcohol identification, intervention, treatment, and medical clearance for return to work prototype. So yeah, like Maddie said, three-part system that work together and all those keys words, job security. Um, what else was that? Getting back to the flight line faster than it otherwise be possible. And those are two big things that we advocate here on the pilots pandemic. Um, anything that keeps people in the air and flying. So yeah. Yeah. And and that's a big thing is keeping the pilots in the air where they should be. And the HIMS program we stated is 80% or 85% successful. And then I think every time someone goes through, like they, I don't think they've had anyone go through more than four or five times, but usually they only have to go through once. Yeah, so yeah. that means it's very successful. Like they know what they're doing, but do I think people who are on an SSRI should have to go through this if they've never had a drinking problem? No, no. Um, I think there should be uh, a different program for them. And I think that this same thing could happen where the government works with airline companies and their unions to support pilots with these problems that are happening. Like we can't just say they're not happening because there are pilots who do drink and who do drink in excess and not saying that they're on the flight line doing it, but there it would be nice for them to know that there is a, a program for them and that they can get back to it. And so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, and obviously, like Maddie said, this this system is not flawless. I, I would say one of my my biggest like kind of cons with the HIMS program is finding a HIMS AME from what I have heard seems to be extremely hard. Like in a lot of cases, you might have to go out of state to find a HIMS AME. And when the process and the difficulty of the SI pathway is already so difficult, it's just like one of those added layers that I feel like could be so easy. There should at least be like a few per state. There's so many AMEs in in your state why can't they have more hymns ames you know what i mean it's a weird like stronghold that 
the I don't know why the FAA does that. Like if you want, if we know there's a pilot shortage and we know that there's bottlenecking medicals at the FAA level, like why are we choosing to make it worse by making them go to a HIMS AME when they're like you said, literally I talked to the same pilots and they say the same thing. The hardest part was finding their hymns AME and then doing all the testing. It's like the hardest thing for them to yeah. get their special issuance. But you also have to AME, have a, oh, sorry to cut you off, but you also mm-hmm. have to have a forensic psychologist and I've heard yeah. that that's hard to find. So all these things, like they cost money, they cost resource, they take time. Like they inconvenience your life even more than this mm-hmm. already is. Yeah, and thinking these pilots are on the road or they're gone a lot, or they have, if student pilot, you already have intense pressure from schoolwork and getting your flight hours and all that bullshit. Like, why do you got to do more? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you is there anything that? else that you want to hit on before yeah. we wrap up the hymns? I'll, I'll talk to you guys about just the proven successes because I think they could correlate with successes with mental health. I think there's a lot of crossover in the histories of hymns that could happen in mental health and aviation. So that's why we kind of want to touch on these today. Um, but so the first one was by the close of the initial eight year federally funded project, most major US airlines had endorsed the model and had hymns train management and union personnel on their property. Um, the second one was the 800 recovering alcoholic pilots had achieved an 85% long-term abstinence rate. Awesome. Uh, three, a cost benefit analysis showed a $9 return for every $1 spent on treatment. So that's basically saying for, if you have a pilot who goes through hymns, like for the $1 that you spent on treatment, you'll have a $9 return. So that means that you'll, that the company is not losing money by putting a pilot through hymns. And then they're actually making money. Money. Is, I was just about to yeah. say, aren't they making, making money? The, they're making eight more dollars off the pilot. So like, that's a big thing to what that I think about mental health and aviation. I'm thinking how much more money, if they would put pilots with mental health struggles through a program, would they make off the pilot because they're doing it with hymns. So the fourth one is the program enhanced flight safety when chemical dependency progressed without therapeutic intervention, it would involuntarily manifest itself by on-duty withdrawal seizures, by, oops, sorry, seizures by violation of governmental or company drinking rules regarding alcohol consumption or by the insidious effects of hangovers while flying. Any of these can make the airline and the pilot culpable. And then five when, or yeah, number five, when alcoholism alcoholism progressed to middle or late stages. It often resulted in costly secondary health conditions that escalated sick leave usage of medical plant costs, which is another cost to the company. Like if, if your pilot doesn't get help, then they're going to use more sick leave and they're going to use more of their medical plant costs, which is what the companies pay for. So that also correlates with mental health and aviation, because if we were able to stop these things and be more proactive instead of reactive, then how much more money would they be saving? probably a lot Mm -hmm. yeah so i think it's good to point out hymns is successful because of the three-party agreement between the airlines between the fa and the union and that's important to note yeah you know i the only like the the i'm like another con that i have (laughs) another con that i have a little bit though with this is like for general aviation, for student pilots, you know, I hope that like, you know, where you're talking about, we've got the airline and the union and the airline and the union to me, you know, that's all like company, you know, 
Mm-hmm. I hope that at least schools, you know, like 141 schools will try to adapt something like this where there is a little bit of protection for the student. But then again, like there's so many 161 programs and operations and like it doesn't protect you there. You know what I mean? Like say for instance, the school that I go to, like they wouldn't be set up enough to like have that kind of resource. But I don't know. I hope that in the future they will have like a system laid out that can be adaptable for like the airline pilot and also the general aviation pilot. Cause I feel like anyone should be able to fly if they want to fly. Yeah. On the general aviation side, I mean, we're seeing things happening at UND and Riddle. They're, they're talking more and more about metropolitan aviation, but those are the big airline schools yeah. or aviation schools. Well, they're also universities. So. Yeah, they're universities. And obviously we want this to kind of spread to more aviation schools or we say 161s. Um, yeah, so. like just flight schools, you know, and I, that's something that I'm curious about. Like, how will this, if this does play out in a school scenario, like how will it affect when it boils down to 141 versus 161? So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. That's definitely, that, that might be an interesting conversation. I don't know who we would talk to about that, but... <laughs> If you guys know, let us come into yeah, our DMs and tell us, us send us a message. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to move into some fun questions to wrap up this week's episode. So, all right, Maddie, what's your favorite nail polish color? Bro, my hand is like a rainbow right now. So, <laughs> I know. I, uh, that is so difficult, honestly. I should have thought about that earlier. Okay, but right now, uh, I think it's green, like shades of green, like a, like light, dark. It doesn't matter. Like green is in right now, and so I like love any shade of green on my my nails. Okay, mine is I don't know favorite nail polish color. I feel like that has to be the one that I go to the most. And for me, it's like either like ballet slipper pink or just white like a french tip or a white a completely uh-huh. white nail yeah just something clean like i'm big on it has to match with everything like my tattoo's red and it really like i love having a red tattoo and i said if i ever get more like they're going to be red because i've made that commitment but damn it has to like match like everything has to match you're hilarious <laughs> is that weird like is that um, weird? I actually like a few months back I literally did like a green nail I, I got them done and I did it because there was like one specific outfit I wanted to wear and I wanted my nails to match it so no it's not crazy see exactly exactly <laughs> you kind of doing the opposite of me I'm like it has to blend with as many outfits as possible <laughs> no literally I was like I want it to match my green jumpsuit and I don't care about anything else I just want to wear it with this and yeah and that's it was what a, you did it was a fire fit but like <laughs> it didn't match anything else I'm dead I am dead okay so what is the worst waxing experience you've ever had bro. <laughs> so I started like getting a Brazilian wax, like when I was younger, pro- because I think we started going to Mexico. So it was like probably when I was like 17, 18 and we were going to Mexico on spring break and I wanted to get a wax. 
and it was so bad. Like I had gone many times, like I was from a really small town and the only place you'd get it was 45 minutes away in this like bigger city. And you always go to the nail place because they wax you. So I went with some friends and this lady was brutal, man. I (laughs) felt like my whole vagina got ripped off when I went to that salon. Um, (laughs) Don't recommend it. This is why I don't, like I was literally about to say, I don't wax. Like I don't don't have a waxing experience. Well, actually I do. One time when I was like young, I was probably like 14 that yeah that age I found some waxing strips in my aunt's bathroom and I was like "Ooh, cool Mm -hmm. I'm gonna use this and I put that bitch on my thigh and you know I'm thinking like I just laid it down and now I'm having nervousness about pulling it I didn't realize like you gotta lay it down and then pull it like pretty immediately like it needs to happen quickly well I did not do that I go to pull it off and I literally had wax stuck to my leg for a week, for a week, green. It was like green teal (laughs) wax, just like a solid rectangle of it stuck right to the top of my thigh. Like, I don't know what made me think it was going to be a good idea because how was I going to do the rest of my leg? You know what I mean? But whatever. And I learned my lesson that way. I was like, you know, I just don't think I fuck with wax. Like if you go to like a spa, like a nice spa, which I've done, they do great because they're like gentle. I don't know. It's just like a different experience. You like know what to expect, but don't go to like a nail salon with like, you have to go to like a back room and get your wax on. It's just, just don't do it. With like a (laughs) little like shower curtain as the door. Yeah. You could get your lip waxed and your eyebrow waxed, but just not your vag, man. You don't want to do that to yourself. No vulnerable parts. No. That, that seems like a fair, a fair one to say. Okay. So this is like such a weird, like we're going from one thing to the next. Did you have a stuffed animal when you were little? What was its name? Or did you carry a blanket around? Like, did you have like a lovey? Yeah. Would, did you have anything like that? Yeah. So my brain works in weird ways. That's why these questions are put this way <laughs> i was like welcome to maddie's brain bitch. like wax <laughs> now we're on to stuffed animals and loveys i know okay so i growing up used to suck my thumb till probably i was like 12 seriously and i had to have a blanket to carry with my hand that i was sucking my thumb so i could like smell my blanket i was fucking weird um and you get to learn all about it today. Um, so I ripped this blanket probably into like 20 different pieces because I was weird. I don't know why. Just so just I could like have I a piece just, wherever I, I went. Found a piece in the couch, you know, one in my bed. But that that blanket I kept forever. I probably, my mom probably still has like a piece of it. It was like a Sesame Street blanket. So you had a Sesame char- character on each piece you had. Um, but yeah, that's what I carried around. It was just like pieces of that blanket. I like that you like set up little, like little pieces of it around the house. So wherever you go, like within a line of sight, there will always be some part of the blanket. (laughs) Seriously. Okay, y'all. Well, that is it for this week's episode. Um, yeah, I can't think, is there anything else that you want to touch on Maddie before we go? 
No, guys, uh, keep the uh, keep the rate review subscribes coming. We would love for you guys to write us some more reviews. Um, we just love actually reading them on the on the pod too. So if you leave us a review, we'll read it on the podcast and uh, keep keep in touch on the DMs on Instagram and let us know if you guys have any like guests that you would like us to have on or know of anyone. We're always looking for suggestions too. So thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah. Guys. Or if you have a story that you want to tell, like, let us know. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, on last week's episode, I truthfully did create this podcast to give a voice to a group of people. So if you have a story that you would like to share, please let us know. And as always, keep the blue side up and the brown side down.